welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Lloyd Longfield, who, as I'm sure you know, is the member of Parliament for the Riding of Guelph. For the last couple of years, we've used the Christmas week episode of the podcast to sit down with an influential Guelphite to talk a little more broadly about life and politics while looking back at some of the year's highlights. This week's podcast interview comes to you via a Zoom call to Longfield's phone in the hallways of Parliament Hill, which was the site of what the Canadian press is calling the biggest news story of 2022. But along with the biggest protests that the Hill has ever seen, there are a myriad of issues from the immediately local to the potential future that require a frank and timely conversation. Christmas with Lloyd is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. Let's get the obvious stuff out of the way. 2022 was the year of the Freedom Convoy, no question. For three weeks earlier this year, downtown Ottawa was ground to a standstill as hundreds of people and dozens of trucks set up residents to protest. Well, pick your cause. Mostly it was supposed to be about the COVID-19 mandates and lockdowns, but there were also people there with Confederate flags, and they had outrageous demands like the resignation of the Prime Minister and having the Governor General and the Senate overrule all mandates and restrictions across the country. Longfield was one of the members who voted in favor of evoking the Emergencies Act to break up that protest, but how does he feel about it now? Closer to home, Longfield is one of the members of Mayor Cam Guthrie's special downtown advisory group, which was set up to find immediate to long-term solutions to homelessness and mental health issues in the core. The federal government has been trying to make moves to end homelessness across Canada, and certainly the major supportive housing projects in Guelph that are now under construction have benefited from federal investment. But just how much can the federal government do about very local concerns? On the other hand, Longfield has been able to dedicate a lot of his government time to these very local issues. He's been a part of the Trudeau government for almost eight years now, but he's never been promoted to cabinet. And in fact, he doesn't want to be promoted either. You're going to hear some words in this podcast about the quiet way, which has been Longfield's way since he first entered parliament in 2015. But in a year as loud as 2022, can the quiet way still work? We'll ask Longfield that and some other questions on this week's edition of the Guelph Politicast. He will talk about his takeaways from the year that's coming to an end, his personal experiences with the Freedom Convoy earlier this year, and whether he has any regrets voting in favor of the Emergencies Act in the wake of some of the revelations from the public inquiry. We'll also talk about working on Guelph issues, the limits of federal power when working on local issues, and coordinating between levels of government when one level is sitting in the opposition benches. And finally, we will discuss getting a new deal for Canada's cities, what's coming up in terms of issues in 2023, and what his Chamber of Commerce experience is telling him about the economic outlook in the new year. So I caught up with Lloyd Longfield last week via Zoom. Uh, Lloyd Longfield, thank you so much for joining me today, and uh, happy Christmas to you. Yes, thanks, and the best of the season to you too, Adam. I appreciate it. Like it's been a long time coming. <laughs> yes. Uh, on the other hand, I'm not sure how quickly we got to the end of 2022, but uh, we made it, so uh, <laughs> it's crazy. But uh, let's start with that. Um, you know, when you're thinking back on the year, uh, this past year, like, what are kind of your takeaways? What's what's I mean, what's going to mark 2022 in your mind when you're remembering everything that happened this year and in the years to come? Well, as I'm talking 
with you. I'm looking out the window at a truck going by. Um, we saw a lot of trucks at the beginning of this year. <laughs> There's a, a truck that's just going up to the construction site that they're working on center block uh, on a 15-year project to uh, to renew the, that building, take out the asbestos and put a new foundation under it. Um, so I think at the beginning of the year, when I looked out these windows, I saw a lot of trucks and that kind of, I think was one of the signals that was an over a, a carryover from the election that we had in 2021, which I can hardly even remember now. Um, but I know there were a lot of angry people and uh, people that were fed up with COVID, fed up with restrictions, um, wanted to go back to life before COVID. And I think that was a lot of what we saw in the streets of Ottawa during the first part of this year was um, some really frustrated people that were uh, wanting to get their voices heard. <clears throat> on the other side, I mean, we're still in COVID and now we've got uh, a couple of other diseases that are around and rampant and really um, playing havoc with families and kids in hospitals and healthcare system that's really under crisis right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, I thought this was going to be the year where we got past all this, but uh, clearly we're not. I should point out too that, um, you know, you touched on a number of things, you know, we're, we're dealing with, uh, I've heard the word tri tridemic toss around, oh boy. <laughs> which, you know, is, uh, I, I'm not sure that's the, the rosiest picture to paint on this, but, you know, when you look back at this time last year, which, as you said, kind of laid the foundation of what happened with the Freedom Convoy, um, and then you look at yeah. now, and it's just like, well, now there are no mandates, and, it, you know, we're, we're still kind of just as sick, and we're kind of pretending yeah. that, um, I, I don't know, it, it just, it, it feels we've traded one extreme for the other, in a sense. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things I reflect on is what's the role in government and mm. uh, what should governments be doing? Um, you know, since we've lifted mask mandates on, on traveling, on, you know, federal, uh, federal travel, mm. on airplanes and, and trains, ships, um, people aren't wearing masks, even though it's a good idea to be wearing a mask. And mm. I Sometimes the government has to take the reins and say, we have to make this into a law. Otherwise, people aren't going to be changing their behaviors. And um, I don't know at what point we have to look at that again. And hopefully we hopefully we, we make the right response. Um, I normally wear a mask when I'm in the house. I wear a mask when I'm indoors anywhere. Mm. Particularly if I'm uh, I'm on an airplane, and um, you know I was I was at a hockey game not too long ago, and there weren't many masks in the arena. Um, I think we've all let our guard down, and we haven't connected the dots between us letting our guards down and what's going on in our hospitals. I wonder too, and I, I've tried this out on a couple of people. If if we didn't get the message on masking wrong. Where and we said to people, wear a mask till things get back to normal, instead of saying, wear a mask so that things can get back to normal. Right. If you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I've had the flu vaccine. I've had uh, five, uh, five COVID vaccines. Um, that's only part of the answer. Um, 
you know, I yesterday I woke up with the sniffles and I thought, oh, geez, <laughs> I shouldn't be at work. I don't want to be infecting people. But then again, I am wearing a mask just about 100% of the time and I'm keeping my distance. But um, I think there is some accommodation we have to continue with life. But we also have to be realistic that uh, we're far from over this uh, global crisis that uh, we've been in since 2020. You mentioned the political side of this, too. And I, I mean, that's where kind of there's this crossover with the issues of the Freedom Convoy, where there's yeah. just like a complete mistrust of government, no matter what government suggests, uh, mm-hmm. no matter, frankly, no matter the government, too. Um, so, I mean, w- when you're like talking to your colleagues, is there any discussion about, you know, how to win back trust and how to push through uh, the ecosystems of misinformation that a lot of those people you know, were kind of radicalized by. Yeah, we've had a lot of discussions about that. Again, uh, as we're talking about the role that we can play and try and make uh, things better. Um, and, and if it's making things better with housing, making things better with access to food, helping support seniors, helping support students. I think uh, in all of this, there's a role government can play. There's a number of people that say government shouldn't play any role. And that's fine in a democracy to have uh, you know, public discussions and disagreements. Um, I think that uh, you have to earn the trust. You can't mm. just tell everybody you're going to listen to me and I'm going to plow ahead. You have to make sure you are listening and engaging and coming up with the right ideas. And sometimes the right ideas are coming from some of the, uh, you know, the opinions that you get from people that you normally wouldn't agree with. Um, so uh, I think in order for people to to accept that government has a role in society, the government has to show that they earn trust of people and that the institutions actually do work and the institutions work to protect people. And um, I think that was really brought into question at the beginning of the year, and it's still an open question globally. If you look at Western liberal democracies, Mm. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure out there. I mean, I'm reading in in the papers this week about Germany and uh, right. people wanting to go go after the government with guns in their hands. Um, that's not the way to solve a problem in a Western democracy. It's to have the right dialogue, come to whatever agreements that you can come to that uh, find the middle ground. Usually, so having said all that. Um, and just from your point of view as sort of one vote in the House of Commons, um, you know, do you have any regrets about voting in favor of the use of the Emergencies Act? I mean, I know that there hasn't been a lot of political blowback. Um, a lot of Canadians were on side with that. But just, you know, in terms of being that stronger hand of government that you're talking about that s- some people are resistant to, is it, it was maybe looking back, was that um, you know, more more trouble than... Or I guess was the the cure worse than the disease? <laughs> well, I can remember when we, I mean, we were debating this until midnight uh, when it was in the House. Before it went in the House, we were having a lot of discussions about what the Emergencies Act was, how it was structured, when you use it, what kind of escalation has to happen in order for you to use it. Um, one of the pieces that I thought... Uh, balanced things out was that you have to have a public inquiry after the uh, Emergencies Act is invoked. Mm. And I thought, well, we're in an emergency and 
we have to do what we have to do and then we will have a public inquiry after this and, and find out whether we did the right thing or not um, or whether the law is good or whether it has to be changed going forward. Um, I can remember my very first reaction was um, that we we voted for the Emergencies Act and uh, after a weekend of debating until midnight, um, I know during the debates what was going through my head was there's a lot of kids on the streets and they're being put into danger um, and we can't let that happen to be using kids in a way that uh, that they're going into a dangerous situation because the adults in their lives are saying, you know, stand on the front lines. We're going to show that we're, we're having a party here when the party right. really wasn't. A party. Um, I was really concerned about the safety of the kids that were on the street. And then as no sooner did we vote for the emergencies act, then the streets got cleared and then we canceled the emergencies act. My first reaction was, Oh man, that was a lot of work. Um, and <laughs> For what? For 12 hours? And, uh, but I think what we saw over the course of that weekend was there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't pepper spray, there wasn't batons, there was no physical force other than a horse that, um, that uh, hit uh, a woman that was on the hill. Um, what she was doing that close to a horse that was being used to control the cloud crowd. I mean, you can debate that. Right. Um, but that was really the only incident that we had uh, where somebody was, was injured and given the thousands and thousands of people that over the course of a month that had been in Ottawa and the hundreds that were on the Hill that day. Um, I think that was a really good result and it was good that we removed it because when we talked about invoking it, it was for a short period of time. It was for only as long as it was needed. As soon as it wasn't needed, it would be pulled, and which is exactly what happened. And then the public inquiry, which is exactly what we're going through now. Mm-hmm. And we'll have, we'll have a report in February. And um, I think we've done the right thing. But, of course, uh, we have to have somebody else tell us whether we're right or not. And that's another good thing about Canadian democracy is the elected people think they're doing the right thing. But then you've got the court system that will look at it and say whether we did or not. Well, I want to talk about some stuff closer to home, too. Um, yeah, that was a heavy one. Yeah, that was a heavy one. <laughs> um, I don't think this I don't think this next topic is any lighter, though. Um, you're part of the the subcommittee, the mayor's subcommittee to to look at safety and, and homelessness issues in the in the downtown right. core. Um, you are kind of in a unique position because you're also uh, our representative to the federal government. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a, an intensely local issue. Um, yep. I guess, uh, are you feeling kind of the conundrum I'm thinking about here is you're, you're part of the federal government and you have a lot of different resources at your disposal. Um, this is a local problem and there are kind of limited local resources. Now you could come in and, you know, hear what the, the <sighs> issues are and what kind of solutions people want. But at the end of the day, you are not the total federal government <laughs> and you know, these, these are uniquely Guelph problems. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, do you feel kind of boxed in, in in this particular role? No, I think because these problems are happening all over Canada, um, there are a lot of people that are, are, are on the street uh, in communities. Go next door to Kitchener on Victoria and, and you'll see the camps set up there. Um, the, the, the federal role that I'm looking at is the um, establishment of the, the drug courts and uh, something that we passed through the House of Commons and, and money that was put into budgets was 
um, to not put people who are homeless through the criminal justice system, but in many cases, they're homeless with other issues that they're dealing with, with addictions or trauma, things that put people on the streets, um, economic challenges that they have. Uh, but many times it comes down to uh, addictions and mental health issues. And we have a system of courts so that people will go for um, go in front of a, a judge uh, to then uh, be referred into treatment centers um, instead of into prisons or released on back onto the streets. We have a cycle of people that go to criminal justice courts and then they're released because their their crime is that they're they're dealing with addictions and, and mental health and poverty, uh, which isn't a crime. So then they're released. So I'm looking at the use of the criminal or the, the, the drug courts and the mental health uh, supports that we can bring to people that are facing those challenges. We're also working on housing projects and you know, those are a little bit longer term, but the Parkview Gardens is one that we're working on. Shelldale, we've got going, we've got, you know, St. Joe's, we did an expansion for seniors. Some of the people on the streets are actually seniors. Mm. Um, we've got hopefully Delhi coming along. So I've been working with the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation and with the Minister of Housing to look at, uh, or he's got a longer t title than housing, but Ahmed Hussein, <laughs> um, Family and Social Services. Right. Uh, to look at, you know, longer term, we need more supply for housing. We also need to look at how we support shelters and shelters need additional supports to help people that are facing addictions and mental health challenges. Um, and uh, so I think there is a real role for the federal government to play, but the services and the housing projects themselves are quite often a creature of municipalities or the province. Right. But I think the federal, federal government has a role to play in terms of, how we look at um, uh, helping people through addictions and, and mental health crisis. There is a, you know, you kind of alluded to it. There is a missing component in, in some of this. We're in a very unique position here in Guelph, wherein uh, you, our MPP, and our mayor work very well together. Uh, our MPP, though, is not a member of the government party. He's one of the opposition leaders. So uh, when he goes back to Queen's Park and starts talking to government ministers, um, yeah. I'm sure they I'm sure they're very polite when they talk to Mike. But, you know, there is a stone wall there that right. makes action a bit harder. You know, right. so we have we have this excellent relationship on the local level. But when, you know, our MPP goes back to headquarters, it's uh, things are things hit a wall. Right. I well, guess and you're close. You're that. close enough to the action, and you—the <laughs> way you cover local politics—you know the players. You know what we're trying to do together, right. and you've also got that perspective that uh, you need to have willing partners in the government. Um, and uh, we see that the county is very responsive, the city is very responsive, the federal government is trying to respond the best that we can. And we've been very responsive in terms of funding for housing, um, but we've got to figure out a way to work with the provincial government. And that's, that's a challenge that Mike has for sure. Um, mm. But what we saw in COVID, Adam, was 
Uh, there's other ways of providing support. And we started working with community foundations, with United Way, with the Red Cross, uh, with national charities that are focused on community improvement. And the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, FCM, we've been able to move some project money through them to help. So one of the jobs is if you don't have a willing partner with the elected government in the province, then how else can you find a route to provide the supports that we're trying to provide? And so, you know, Mike and I will have those conversations as well to say, I mean, at the end of the day, people don't need to hear, well, it's that government's fault. They need to right. hear that and that we're working on a solution. So um, we're exploring ways of, of supporting projects um, if, the, if the provincial government continues to not be interested. Is there any, maybe a bigger systemic issue here? And I've often thought about this, that maybe we need a new deal for cities. Because I'm thinking especially, I can't remember who released the statistics, but it was that municipalities have increased spending on social services, which are not technically one of their... Right spending areas but they've increased it by like 50 60 percent while at the same time at the the province and the federal government it's been like 25 to 30 percent and you know we're, we're kind of cities are feeling compelled to act even though they don't technically have the jurisdiction and if cities are forced to act outside of their jurisdiction in order to get action um right. shouldn't we be thinking about just i guess the organization of things you know more cities are forced to take more action because of a lack of action in the jurisdictions that have responsibility. So I guess, wouldn't that mean we should have um, maybe new rules for how cities are governed and how cities can govern themselves? Well, I mean, cities being a creature of the province uh, right. for the federal government to work directly with cities uh, becomes very challenging constitutionally. Right. And um, what we will do is the cities can apply in for projects through the province. We set them up as a priority. We work with the province to say that project's really important. The federal government's going to be funding a whole bunch of, you know, if it isn't a third, it's going to be more than a third that the federal government's going to be funding. And, uh, but to change the relationship between the city and the province, um, that becomes a constitutional thing that uh, I don't think is going to be successful definitely wouldn't be successful as quickly as we would need it to be successful uh, because there'd be constitutional challenges and you see what's going on in alberta right now you, mm -hmm. you know quebec typically doesn't want the federal government involved with health care or any issues to deal with uh, provincial jurisdiction uh, environment health care um, education so we have to be more practical, I think, in the way we approach things. And um, we've been working with FCM, with the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, to provide support and to backstop projects. And we've been we've been successful that way. Um, I I'm wish just... people would, I wish people would vote differently. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much easier when Liz was in government because she was our representative, and Mike does a great job. But uh, Liz was at the cabinet table, right. so. There was something going on that we needed to get the government involved with. Um, Liz would actually be very helpful to say, hey, uh, you know, don't do it this way. It's more effective if you go this way. And she would help guide the projects through. Right. And then she could do that because she had access to the cabinet table. So uh, it is what it is. I, yeah, it is what it is. I don't think we're going to be changing the Constitution anytime soon. Um, we're trying to deliver results for Canadians. And if we get into constitutional haggles, we're not going to be able to deliver results because all we're going to be talking about is the Constitution.
I was going to say all the cool kids want to reopen the Constitution, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I think we made that, that joke. On the, people trying to solve problems and people <laughs> that are trying to help people that are hurting today, um, the seniors in our community, the students, the people on the streets that are the single people that are, are being uh, left out of a lot of uh, the supports that we're trying to provide. Um, I think we need to we need to find practical ways of getting getting from A to B. Well, speaking of sort of the immediate challenges then you know we're almost at the end of 2022 what are you worried about in 2023 (laughs) (laughs) the provincial relationships uh i think the polarization of politics between province and federal government is something that's a real concern and uh there's an election in Alberta that I hope people step back from a bit and say, you know, what's practical and what can we do that will come to solutions instead of feeling good about screaming at each other. Um, we just had a by-election last night in, in Mississauga Lakeshore. Um, Charles Souza was, was uh, elected former finance minister. I think we've got, that's up to eight provincial cabinet ministers from the previous government that are now in federal politics. Uh, which is good to keep the talent somewhere active, but I think we need to get more talent at the table provincially. Mm -hmm. So I'm concerned about the the divisions that people can feel good about, saying the province is no good and the province saying the federal government's no good and people saying who's no good versus what we need to do to get um, solutions put in place. And... uh, the more that the you know populism and, and polarization happens, it's it's one thing to have it on social media, but we definitely don't need it in the decision rooms that we're trying to help Canadians with. Right. Yeah. Interesting that you didn't mention the economy as a concern for 2023, because I think people hear all the time inflation coming, inflation not coming, uh, <laughs> you know, pr- prices are still up and there's a lot of talk about that people scaling back spending for the holidays and all that um i I, is is this a case of maybe we don't want to we don't want to blow on the embers in case we start the fire (laughs) no i think it's regardless of the problem you're working on i think it's the way that you work on problems that is the biggest concern to make sure that you're being effective Mm. um working with the bank of canada on on inflation knowing that their tool and their mandate is to control inflation to have it between two and four percent and their tool is to raise interest rates to do that Um, when they raise interest rates that increases expenses on canadians and especially on canadians that are on the edge already so then as a government we have to look at how do we provide targeted support for people without causing inflation and so there is a balancing act there and you have to be open to new ideas as we go through this because this recession is a lot different than previous recessions that i've seen Mm. where it's supply side it's people can't get things well now speaking to some of the manufacturers in guelph they've got inventory and they're going to have to discount their inventory to get it moving which will help bring some prices down it's not going to help their bottom lines maybe um, but if we can get the supply chain figured out so that all prices start coming down, one of the tools is using the Bank of Canada and another one is to say, where do we need to provide the short-term supports that we need? 
so that by the middle of next year, we're in a better place than we're at right now. Um, and then by the end of next year, hopefully we're on a growth path and uh, that's what we're hoping to see. So I think <clears throat> I didn't mention pricing and inflation. It's a direct problem that we're having, but the way we're approaching it, I think is going to be successful. So I'm looking at um, more of the immediate problem is how do we help people get into housing? How do we help people that are struggling with the effects of COVID, um, whether they're physical health or mental health effects of COVID? Uh, we're going to be living with that for a while. And I think we need to make sure people are looked after first and then make sure that the systems are in place to get the economy back on track. It was an, I, I, and I noted this interesting fact of history and I looked it up just to make sure, but you became the president of the Guelph Chamber of Commerce right before the start of the, the, the 2008 market crash. And that was unprecedented. I'm not saying you're, you, you bring bad luck or anything like that, but um, yeah. it's, it's just, that was another sort of unprecedented economic crisis of a sort. And here we are at another kind of unprecedented economic, not, not, I don't want to say crisis because I don't think we're at a crisis yet, but I mean, there's certainly a lot, there's certainly a lot going on in the economy that is quite unprecedented because we never had like this shock to the global economy like this. So I guess, you know, looking back at, that sort of very individualized local experience to, yeah. you know, the, the 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 pending economic issues that we have right now. I guess what are the, kind of like the general lessons you take away in, you know, leading leading small businesses or helping small businesses out of hard financial times? Yeah, Adam, you and your questions. Um, that's a very insightful question that nobody, including myself, has really <laughs> reflected on. Uh, at the time I became the president of the chamber, I was working as uh, uh, ma a managing director of a manufacturing company down in Welland. <clears throat> I knew the recession was coming. And uh, I'd been through a few, few recessions. We were in good position as a company. Uh, we were working on process improvement, automation, and, and we were working across Canada. And I was also working in some other countries. And uh, I saw that as an opportunity with the Chamber of Commerce to work with the uh, local businesses to help uh, support them in whatever right way I could. Um, the city was looking at how can we become more resilient going through the recessionary times. I'd been through a few recessions myself. So I spent a lot of time working with the mayor on that. We looked at uh, sustainability, uh, climate change issues, as well as sustainability uh, economically. And uh, working with the University of Guelph and with the city and the Chamber of Commerce, we worked together quite closely. So it's uh, it's similar. I'm still at the same table in a different seat. Is uh, how do we bring uh, the community and the businesses and the governments together to uh, make communities more resilient going forward? Um, so that, that was 2008. 2010, we set up Innovation Guelph. Uh, I was on the board of Guelph Partnership for Innovation, and we were looking at expanding the mandate of that group and uh, being more direct in terms of how we supported entrepreneurs. And so Innovation Guelph really was one of the tools that we put together to help businesses to become more sustainable. And I was involved with that from 2010 till 2015, I guess, when I got elected. Is it interesting to note that, you know, some of the things you're talking about you were doing then is some of the the solutions I I hear Shakiba Shiani talk about yeah. when when she's talking about you know making Guelph uh, I guess you know economic downturn proof recession proof that you know 
resiliency, sustainability, you know, yeah. climate action. Um, I mean, it's, it's almost as cyclical as the economy itself. Yeah, and the economy is going to go through cycles, and uh, it's typically a 10-year cycle. And we're a little bit delayed on the 10-year cycle, probably because of COVID. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Shakib is doing a great job with the local businesses. We talk uh, regularly as well. And uh, <clears throat> sometimes it's the those conversations where I get information I can bring back to the federal government to say, you know, we're we're doing well here, but in this this area over here, we got uh, we've got a, a an issue we got to deal with. So, mm. you know, we've provided childcare funding to the province, and uh, that's fine. But um, I mean, it's really good for people that have childcare spaces, but there are a lot of people that don't have childcare spaces that can't get back to work because of that. So we have to also look at the spaces and the number of people working in childcare. And so that's something currently that we're working on. And um, so, you know, you think you're finished with a problem or a project and then you go, oh, wait a minute, we're not done yet. And so uh, Chamber's really good to work with on, on reality checks on some of the stuff we're trying to do together. I, I would say just on a personal note from that, my nephew is a month and a half and and his mother has already been advised to get him signed up for childcare, although that's still a year away. Yep. Yeah. Um maybe to I have a daughter, have a daughter in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. As soon as she found out she was pregnant. Well, okay, was that's nice. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of stuff to worry about even before the baby's born. But uh yep. Yeah. Maybe to wrap up here, um, without the 2021 election call, this would have been an election year coming up, 2023. Um, it means uh, you've been in office for eight years now. So I'm going to ask the most blatantly political question possible, which is, you know, um, are, are you seeing light at the end of the tunnel in terms of your time as an MP? Uh, are you are you looking at passing the baton maybe at the, the end of this term? <laughs> <laughs> not a surprising question um, I, I, I wasn't expecting this election uh, that that last election call i had just had heart surgery and i had to really rely on my team to help uh, get me reelected. uh jim carr passed away yesterday who's yeah. a good friend um you've got uh life realities that you also have to face and i think we all do um but you always look at, at succession planning uh, so that you can engage it when you need to. Um, 2025 is still a long way off. And, um, uh, you know, I'm 66 now. I'll be whatever, 69, I think, when that election will be happening. Uh, but Jim was 71. And he, yeah. he was going it. He was working hard. Uh, he had cancer. And he continued to work and serve Canadians because he had something to contribute. So I think if I feel like I'm contributing and I do it in more of a quiet way, uh, I do things with, because I'm, I'm focused on getting results and um, versus getting my name in the national media. Um, it, it's a great community to work with. Uh, the people in Guelph are really responsive to trying new ideas out and that's exciting. And that gives me life. And uh, so, so far I've got through, uh, I've got through the, the, the health problem that I had, uh, it took about a year to recover and get myself back on my feet. And uh, as long as I'm healthy and uh, I feel like I'm contributing, I'll keep going. Well, Lloyd Longfield, 66 years young. Thank you for uh, <laughs> joining us here today. And uh, once again, 
you know, best wishes for the new year. And uh, I know you have a big family that you looking forward to some Christmas time with and uh, yeah, enjoy that time off. It'll be a busy new year, I think. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Adam. And thanks for, you know, your continuing work and helping people be more interested in public, uh, public service and what's going on um, in that, uh, you know, it, voting is important. Democracy is really important. And uh, you help by putting the word out to keep people focused on some of these really important things that otherwise, if everything's working, you don't have to worry about government. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you really do have to worry about government because you get a bad one and uh, all of a sudden it makes a big difference in your life. So so yeah. thanks for doing what you're doing, Adam. And uh, I look forward to 2023. Uh, housing will be up front and center. Uh, environment and climate change will also be continuing. And uh, and there's always something to do in Guelph in terms of helping people that are vulnerable. And uh, the community rallies around things like that. And I love to be part of the work that the community is doing. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Lloyd. Thanks, Adam. Cheers. And once again, that was Lloyd Longfield. You can reach out to our area's MP at his website, mplongfield.ca, or you can find him on social media at Lloyd Longfield on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or at Lloyd.Longfield on Facebook. You can probably also see Longfield out and about around town for the next month or so. He will be in Guelph, as the House of Commons will not be sitting again until January 30th. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. Let me take a minute to say Merry Christmas to everyone who celebrates, or Happy Holidays, if you are celebrating a non-Christian holiday this time of year. Uh, have a have a good holiday break and at any extent. And thank you for spending part of your year listening to this podcast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel... You'll get an episode of Open Source's Guelph on Mondays, an episode of End Credits on Fridays, even during these holidays. And you can follow Guelph Politico on social media, at Guelph Politico on Twitter, and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me personally at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, or send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can certainly do that. Get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time. Uh, uh.